Yesterday, Today, the show that brings you the best sounds of yesterday. I'm Jake Westbrook, this is McLean Westbrook, and I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm I'm getting a little tired of the summer, McLean. I'm a little I, tired of the summer. It was it was nice at first, but honestly, it's it's overstayed its welcome by by a couple weeks, and there's still there's still a couple months to go. I don't know if I'm going to make it, Jake. Yeah, well, a month and a half. I'd, yeah, not even a half. I'd say like a month, month and a couple weeks. Point is, uh, this is the time of year when I start, you know, I start wishing I was in colder climates, you know. I start wishing I'm, I'm perpetually just satisfied with the season I'm in. And so I think the theme today of our show is going to be, uh, how to put this, expeditions, going somewhere colder. And uh, to kick it off, we have an episode of the Alan Young Show in which Alan Young is trying to get his way to Canada. Uh, fun fact about Alan Young, he, uh, I know him most for his work on the radio show Adventures in Odyssey, the long-running drama that's still on the air, and uh, he died just recently, but he was uh, he was Jack Allen on that show, and that that's what I know him from primarily. But I know him primarily from this show, and honestly, it is one of the most underrated radio shows, I think, out there. Exactly. This is The Alan Young Show. planning a trip to Canada in his car. Alan's folks live up there in a little town called Ambleside. He hasn't seen them in several years. And as we look in on Alan, he's rereading for the tenth time the latest letter from his mother. Mom gets so sentimental when she writes me. Look how she starts this one. Dear Mr. Young. (laughs) Mom never could remember my first name. My boy, just yesterday, Dad realized that you were gone three years. Up till then, he thought you were in the bathroom. Uh, Speaking of rooms, your room is exactly the way you left it. Once a week, I go in to feed the snakes. Your collection of bugs give me less trouble. They come down to the kitchen and help themselves. Last week, we had some real excitement. Your dog, Trixie, had nine puppies. Gee, Trixie. (laughs) When I left home, she wasn't even married. (laughs) Son, we're all thrilled to hear that you're finally coming home for a visit. Well, I must close now as I have a pot of prunes on the stove, and they must be completely stewed. (laughs) Hoping you are the same. Dear mother. Oh, dear mom. She's a likable sort of chap. (laughs) And good old dad. He was crazy about me. I'll never forget how bad he felt the day I put on my my first pair of long pants and left home. Dad didn't step out of his room for weeks. How could he? You were wearing his pants. (laughs) Oh, little David. So you think I stole my father's pants, eh? (laughs) Oh, bless your little... (laughs) David, boy, I'm driving up to Canada to see my folks, you know. 
to Canada, the home of the Northwest Mounted Police, the famous Redcoats? Yeah, it's the same thing. Down here we have the famous blue coats. No, no, no. The difference is the blue coats just walk a beat all day and they get sore feet. So what? The red coats ride a horse all day and they have their own troubles. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. Mr. Young, when you drive to Canada, what itinerary are you taking? No, oh, it's a few pairs of socks and oh, itinerary. Oh, you mean food and stuff. <laughs> Well, oh, I, the, yeah, I, I have it all planned out in this road map here in the table. See, kid, I could follow this black line that curves around here, or this red line that twists over that way. But I think I'll just stick to this white line and go straight north. Hey, that's the crease in the map. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Wondered how I was going to cross Lake Erie. What are those little black dots on the map? Those little black dots, they represent cities. Well, don't look now, but Brooklyn just crawled up to the Bronx. <laughs> Most likely a night game at the polo ground, you don't know. Where is this car you're going to drive? <laughs> my, my car? Well, I had it in storage during the war. But I just took it out this morning. Right now it's in my backyard. If you look out of the window over there, you can see it, kid. Okay. I can't see a thing, Mr. Young. There's a pile of junk in my way. <laughs> Kid, that's my car. And don't laugh. It so happens that car is a 16-cylinder Rolls Canardly. A Rolls Canardly? Yeah, it rolls down one hill and can hardly get up the next. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it, David? Yeah. Let's get some hot water and poach it. <laughs> Are you driving all the way to Canada alone? No, David. I put an ad in the paper for a driving companion. Somebody with excellent eyesight. Driving through those mountains is pretty dangerous. You bet you. Well, I wish you luck, Mr. Young. Mm. I'll see you before you go. Meanwhile, as they say in Mexico, la cucaracha. Come <laughs> well, on, David. Van Seeden with a new arrangement of a Latin American favorite, Catita.
going to be a tough trip. Good thing I advertised for somebody to share the driving. Somebody with perfect eyesight. Somebody with the eye of an eagle. There's a guy coming up to my porch now. He couldn't be answering my ad. He's so nearsighted. He's tipping his hat to all the trees. <laughs> Poor fellow, I'd better open the door for him here. Uh, can I help you? How do you do? <laughs> my name is Ambrose. I came in answer to your ad. Yeah, look, if you're answering my ad for a driving companion, you're out. You have poor eyesight. Poor eyesight? Poor eyesight? I have perfect vision. Are you sure? I'm positive, madam. <laughs> yeah, well... Come inside. We'll discuss this further. Will you please follow me up these stairs? I certainly, Mr. Young. You, watch out. You're climbing up the Venetian blind. Oh. Boy, you ought to do something about your vision. Don't you know that carrots are good for your eyes? Oh, yeah? I nearly go blind every time I try to stick one in. <laughs> By the way, Mr. Yeah. Young, mm -hmm. what part of Canada are you heading for? I'm heading for Saskatchewan. Hmm? Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Gesundheit. Thank you. Look, why do you want to go to Canada anyway? I want to join the Northwest Mounted Police. You what? I want to hike over high mountains. I want to swim through deep rivers. I want to break trails through thick forests. I want... I want... Yeah? Can I sit down? I'm tired. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't risk letting a man with eyesight like yours drive my car. You think I'm crazy? Think I'm a dope? You think I'm out of my mind? I got a brand new tire. You think we could leave at five in the morning? <laughs> brand new tire. Is it real rubber? No, it's one of those new sympathetic tires. No, no, no. You mean synthetic no, sympathetic. When one of the other tires blows out, this one blows out, too. Okay, it's a deal. You'll be here at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Are you sure you can find your way to the front door? Oh, of course I could. Well, goodbye, Mr. Young. Uh, yeah. Hey, that's not the front door. That's the door to the laundry. <laughs> well, we'll have to get out of that washing machine by Monday. Jones Westers with a new novelty, Five Salted Peanuts. One look at us, you'd say we're the happiest kids in town. But no, we're so brought down, bad luck's happening. Bad luck is always happening to us. Feel so low, gotta tell you my tale of Oh, honey, money don't mean a thing, but still I sing, sing.
All my money's in, but I don't ever win. It's driving me nuts. Those darn machines know how to count. I always get the same amount. I put a penny in the slot. But all I ever got was no, I'll never understand. What appeared in the palm of my hand. Was it one? Not one. Two? No, no. How about three? Not three. Four? Uh-uh. Goodness sakes alive. Got some peanuts. Salted peanuts by the number of five. Well, Alan is driving to Canada tomorrow in his alleged automobile. But before he leaves, he's pushing it over to his girlfriend Betty's house. Meanwhile, at Betty's house, the rich and snobbish Hubert Updike is urging her to take another kind of trip, a trip to the altar. For the hundredth time, Hubert, my answer is no. I can't marry you now. How can you refuse me, Betty? I'm so lovely to look at. <laughs> and I can give you so much. I just bought you a little present. It's a new Ford station wagon. And it costs $47,000. You paid $47,000 for a Ford? Yes, Henry made it himself. <laughs> While I was there, I picked up a little job for myself, a parker to dawn. But I think the factory reconverted too fast. What do you mean, Hubert? Well, every ten blocks, the car stops and shoots rockets at the pedestrians. <laughs> <laughs> I've already hit three policemen. Were they mounted? Yes, and they look fine over my fireplace. Ah, <laughs> oh, let's go for a drive, Betty. The chauffeur is waiting. You'll sit in the back and I'll run behind the car. But, Hubert, why don't you get into the car? Betty, I'm an updike. I couldn't ride in the same car with a chauffeur. <laughs> You might as well know the truth. I'm in love with Alan Young. Alan Young? Why, he's just a pauper. I don't think he has a million to his name. Besides, he comes from such common stock. What do you mean? Why, his mother eats at the same table with his father. <laughs> but, Hubert, don't your father and mother eat at the same table? Yes, but they have a lawyer sitting between them. I'll still wait for Alan. He said he was coming over here to tell me something. Maybe he's going to propose. Oh, oh, look out the window. Here he comes down the street now. And the poor idiot doesn't know the war is over. What do you mean? He's dragging a pile of junk for the scrap drive. <laughs> well, look, Hugh, but he's putting it right in front of your car. Let's go out on the porch and put a stop to that. Alan Young, get that collection of trash off the strut. <laughs> This is my car. Betty, this is my car. Oh. Oh, Alan, it's beautiful. Did you get the number of the truck that hit it? <laughs> By the way, Hubert, is it safe to park my good old car in front of the house here? You're safe until two o'clock. Oh, is that the parking limit? No, that's when they collect the garbage. <laughs> 
Oh, that was a witty one. Yeah. Alan, Alan, how dare you park that thing next to my car? Why, my car is half Duesenberg and half Parker. It's a racer. So what? My car is half Chrysler and half Jeep. It's a creep. <laughs> if Betty rides with me, she'll be safe. I've got an automatic brake. Yeah, well, if Betty rides with me, she'll be thrilled. I got an automatic clutch. <laughs> My car. As I said before, my car has a. I'll try again. My car. My car has a fluid drive. No wonder with a drip at the wheel. Tell me, Alan, uh, where do you plan to go in this sloppy jalopy? Well, I'm driving to the northwestern part of Canada. Uh, how long will this trip take? Well, I have it all figured out. At 60 miles an hour, of course, it takes my car three hours to do it. Uh, from the looks of your car, you ought to get there by November this year. Well, yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? November, yes. This year, no. <laughs> Well, I'll be jogging along now. Oh, my, I'll have to call my dealer and buy another car. Another car? What's wrong with the car you have outside? It's pointing the wrong way. <laughs> well, goodbye, Alan. And have another shrub. So long. <laughs> going on a long trip tomorrow, and, well, wouldn't it be nice to have someone sit beside you and every now and then lean over and kiss you? And if that nearsighted squirt tries it, I'll break his arm. <laughs> no, Alan. I mean, you're going to drive past Niagara Falls. Doesn't that make you think of something? Good place to stop and fill my radiator? <laughs> what I mean is... This could be made into a honeymoon trip. Oh, no, Betty. I wouldn't go on a honeymoon without you. <laughs> Ellen, we could be married and go to Canada together. They say the scenery is beautiful up there. We could go to Lake Louise and Banff. I'll go to Lake Louise, but you'll have to show me how to Banff. <laughs> I'd like to live in Canada. Huh? In winter, we'd have a dog sled, and you'll yell mush, and I'll yell mush. Yeah. Who's going to watch the dogs while we're mushing? <laughs> Ellen, you don't understand. Hmm? Wouldn't you like to come inside and sit on the couch? After all, you're going away on a long trip. We love each other, and... You're a man and I'm a woman. Yeah. I hope they have the same system in Canada. <laughs> oh, look, I, I... I got a lot of packing to do. Will you see me off tomorrow morning, Betty? Oh, I'll be there, Alan. Goodbye now. See you later. So long, Betty. 
Uh, I can hardly wait till I hit the open road in this high-powered car of mine. I'll zoom down the broad highway, the motor purring smoothly. I step on the gas. The car shoots ahead. 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, faster, faster. <laughs> There's no use standing here. I've got to push this thing home. <laughs> And now, here are the Toon Twisters to sing Bugle Woogie. Thank you. 
morning of the big trip to Canada, Alan's car is piled high with supplies. And his nearsighted driving companion, Ambrose, has made himself comfortable in the front seat between the blowout patches and the anchor. All of Alan's friends are gathered around to bid him farewell. Oh, All right, stand, stand back, everybody. Stand back. <laughs> Gotta give my car a last-minute checkup, you know. See, these headlights have got me a little worried. Better put some glass in or the wind will blow out the candles. <laughs> Those two back tires look pretty well shot. They're worn right down to the Band-Aids. Yeah, but this front tire here is in perfect shape. Just feel that rubber. Uh, good old tire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, better. Now they're all down to the same level. Alan, I don't like to complain, Alan, but why don't you keep this car in better condition? Well, I tried to, Ambrose, but I could say the same for you. I, uh, I couldn't get the parts. The Tinker Toy people were doing more work. Well, it's a short time. A time to start rolling, you know. Oh, please be careful, Alan. Ah, it'll be all right, Betty. As long as it doesn't rain. I got a fast windshield wiper and no windshield. <laughs> Slaps the heck out of me. All ready to start, Alan. Thanks, Amber. What does the gas indicator say? Oh, you got plenty of gas, Alan. The needle is between empty and positively. <laughs> Mr. Young, here's the can of oil you sent me for. Oh, thanks, David Boy. This is just what the motor needed. Be careful not to spill it. It's my mother's last can of Mazzola. <laughs> Ambrose, take care of this oil. Look, Alan, I'm telling you, for the last time, I want to drive this car, you understand? I'm driving. Now, which way is the road? <laughs> Ambrose, don't be silly. You can't drive this car. You, you can't see well. You have astigmatism. Or whatever it is. Well, if I can't drive this car, I want my tire back. Well, you leave me no choice. If you take your tire back, I'll only have two left. <laughs> Tell you what I'll, I'll do, Ambrose. I'll let you drive the first two blocks. Okay. I'll move over and you get in the driver's seat. You all set? Yeah. Okay. Say, Alan, this gear shifter's loose. I can't shift it into face. Ambrose, let go of that windshield wiper. <laughs> all right, Alan, let's go. Now, put my foot on the gas and point me north. <laughs> I'm all ready. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Alan. Goodbye. Just step on the starter. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Alan. Goodbye. It's caught on. Here we go. We're off to Canada. Oh. Am Ambrose, you, you concentrate on the driving. See, I'll keep my eye on the road okay. here. Okay. That, we're coming to a busy corner. Better sound my horn good and loud. <laughs> watch, watch out, Ambrose. You're over too far on the right-hand side. But I'm supposed to be on the right-hand side. Not on the right-hand side of the sidewalk. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Ambrose, watch out where you're driving. You're heading straight to that fire hydrant. Whoop. 
Oh, that was close. You almost hit the dog. (laughs) Back on the road again. Just watch my car take this big hill. Give it a little more gas, Ambrose. Okay. Okay. Listen to that motor hitting on all one cylinder. Moving much faster now. No wonder the motor just dropped out. We're we're rolling back down the hill. Stop the car. We're rolling back faster and faster. Grab the emergency brake. I'm not going to open the trunk just for that. (laughs) Ambrose, move over. Let me take the wheel. Stay where you are. I'll hand it to you. Thank you, I got it. Now, don't worry, now I've got the situation in hand. All this needed was a cool head. Yeah, but Alan, we're going faster. Yep, yeah, stop your backseat driving. Alan Young's at the wheel and all is well. Put your head in for that telephone pole. Watch out! Yep. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. Welcome back to yesterday today. That was the Alan Young Show, and I am currently working on. I read an article once about how to get it to snow indoors, basically, like because you can. So, so like you can make those terrarium things, McLean. I learned this in a biology Jake. class once. Jake. Where you put plants Jake. in a jar Jake. and you seal the jar, and Jake. it creates its own ecosystem, Jake. Jake. and eventually Jake. condensation Jake. forms. Yeah. Jake. Yeah. What? 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 A couple weeks ago, what? you tried installing an air conditioner. You punched a hole in the wall. And I rent this is out. ancient history, McLean. Ancient history. A couple of weeks after that, you stacked an ungodly amount of fireworks on the on the roof of our building, which caused an explosion, which leveled half the town and almost got us put into prison. If it wasn't for the fact that we declared ourselves boats, I'm not. I don't think I'm prepared for another one of your shenanigans. This is you can, by no means a shenanigan, McLean. I was talking to Slick Willie, our legal counsel. Oh, oh no, 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 lawyer. No, and he was telling me about. He no, was telling me about uh, this machine that could that could make it snow indoors. Jake, it's like, if, if Willie, if Willie is for it, I'm against it. First off, I told him twelve hours. I told him twelve round Earth hours, and he is still in that closet. That is true. That is unfortunately true. But, McLean, you are going to eat those words, much like you'll be eating your pride and eating my dust and eating other metaphorical things once I get this machine built and up and running. And while I'm doing that, this is an episode of Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. Or is it called Challenge of the Yukon? Sergeant Preston of the Challenge of the... One of those things. It's about a guy in Canada. He's like the Canadian cowboys. They wear the red coats and the big hats and they ride a moose Mounties. around. I think that's what Mounties they do. Mounties is the name, Jake. He is a Mountie. Yeah. I'm a Canadian racist. I'm sorry. This is Sergeant Preston of the Yukon and an episode called The Klondike Palace. 
The Challenge of the Yukon. It's King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the North Country, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King! On you huskies! Gold! Gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the greedy race for riches. Now back to the days of the gold rush, when Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog King battled through storm and snow to preserve law and order as they met the challenge of the Yukon. Ann Gordon hesitated for a moment before entering the Klondike Palace, a gaudy cafe in Dawson City. It looked bleak and ugly in the daylight, and as she opened the door, she could smell the distasteful odor of spilled beer and stale tobacco smoke. She took a deep breath and resolutely entered. The place was empty except for an old man who was sweeping the floor that was littered with tobacco, ashes, and broken glasses. He stopped his work and looked at her curiously. Good morning. Uh, howdy, miss. Are uh, you the owner of the Klondike Palace? <laughs> Me, the owner? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Heck no, miss. I'm just a sweeper-upper. Oh. Well, who is the owner? Uh, Chris James. Is, um... Mr. James here? Yep. Uh, he's back there in his office. You want to see him about something? Yes. I I'm looking for a job. A job? You sure you're in the right place, ma'am? Well, they do have girls working here, don't they? Yep, they do, but you don't seem oh, to be... Oh, you mean you, you think Mr. James wouldn't hire me? No, no, I didn't mean that. It, it's just that, well... Uh, you're pretty young, ain't you? I'm 19. You ever been in here after dark? No. No, I never have. Well, ain't exactly like a prayer meeting. I, I didn't suppose it would be. Oh, I must have a job. I see. Well, go straight back through that door and turn to the right. Chris James' office is there. Thanks. A nice-looking girl like you ought to find yourself a good husband instead of working. Are, um, are you Mr. James? Sure, sure. Well, come on in. I won't bite you. Um, I'm Ann Gordon. Yeah? Uh, I've been living alone with my father. He was a prospector. What's that got to do with me? Why, nothing, but... Well, you see, he died and, and I've been left alone. We didn't have much money... Not enough for me to get back to the States, I mean. Well, if you're looking for a handout, this ain't the place for it. I just started this business and I'm still in the hole. I'm not asking for money. Well, listen, sister, get to the point. What are you asking for? I want a job. A, a job? You? Oh, I know I don't look very nice. These clothes, they're, they're old and shabby. <laughs> well, <laughs> to get a job here, you're not supposed to look nice. <laughs> You ever worked any place before? No, I've always lived with my father. Can <laughs> you dance or sing? Well, I, I sing a little, but I've never had any lessons, if that's what you mean. Ah, lessons ain't necessary. All you got to do is carry a tune. And you might do. Dressed in some glad rags, a little makeup. You might not be too bad. I'm I'm afraid I haven't any fancy clothes. Well, you got some here that'll fit you. That's not what I'm worried about. Oh, I'll make a good waitress. I'll work hard. We don't use waitresses, kid. 
Your job will be to entertain the boys. We got men waiters. Entertain? Sure, sure. Sit with them at the table, sing for them, listen to their troubles. Oh. You'll learn. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Maybe I'd better try to get work somewhere else. There's no place else you can get work that I know of. Maybe you could hire out as somebody's housekeeper, but uh, this is much easier and pleasanter. The more I think about it, the more I think you do right well. <laughs> You'd be sort of a novelty. <laughs> are, are there any other women in the place? Sure, we got two more. Dottie LaRue is just about your size. She'll give you some clothes. Well, I'll have to find a place to live in in town. Room and board goes with a job. Got a couple of cabins back here. You can stay with Dottie. She's living alone in hers. You mean you give us free board and room and, and a salary, too? $25 a week plus commissions on refreshments. Refreshments? Whatever the men buy for you while you're sitting at their table. Oh. Dottie will tell you about it. Now, if you want the job, go on back and see her. She's in the second cabin back. I could save all my salary. I'd soon have enough fare to leave the country. Well, sure, sure you would. Maybe you'll learn to like it here. Maybe you'll find out you don't want to leave at all. I'll take the job, Mr. James. Fine, fine. <laughs> now that we're friends, you can start calling me Chris, huh? Um, I guess I'd better go back and see Miss LaRue. Order horses, I'm coming. Who is it? I'm Ann Gordon. Mr. James sent me to see you. You're, you're Miss LaRue, aren't you? Sure, I'm Dottie LaRue. Come on in before I freeze to death. Oh, don't get scared. I always look like a sheepdog in the morning. Throw them clothes on the floor and sit down. I'm so dog-tired last night, it's a wonder I didn't sleep in them. <laughs> I'll just put them on the bed. Why did Chris send you here? He gave me a job. He said you could explain what I'd be expected to do. It's a job like yours, I guess. Gee, kid, you ain't that hard up, are you? I haven't any money. I want to get enough to get back to the States. My father died and, well, we were poor. Yeah, that's the old story. Well, this job ain't easy, but it's better than starving to death. Ever worked before? Just housework, but I'm strong. That's good. Because when things get too rough, there's nothing like a good left hook to the jaw. What? I think Chris is out of his mind letting a nice kid like you work here. Oh, I'm sure I could do it. Oh, you could do it all right. But it's liable to take some of that stardust out of your eyes. You're the kind that ought to get a good young husband to take <laughs> care of you. That's not too easy either. Come to think of it, this might be the place to find one. Every prospector in the Klondike drifts into the Klondike Palace sooner or later. Just what do I have to do? Well, all you have to do is dance with people, do a little singing. Mostly, you just sit and listen to them talk oh. about themselves and let them buy you drinks. Chris pays a commission on those. But I don't drink. You don't have to. Chris never lets Charlie put anything strong in the drinks they serve us. It's just water with a little tea to color it. Oh. But that ain't known to the one who's buying it. You have to get used to hearing words you probably won't even know the meaning of. And once in a while, they'll make a grab at you. Oh. If you can't fight them off alone, just yell for me or Charlie. Most of the men are pretty decent, though, believe it or not. I'm... I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. Well, the Klondike Palace ain't the place for a prairie flower, but you can make money. 
Board and room is expensive up here, and you get that free. Your salary and commissions are clear. I haven't any money. No. Why don't you try it, kid? If it's too rough, you can always leave. I'll watch out for you till you learn the ropes. Oh, you're very kind. I guess I haven't any choice. I guess the thing I should tell you to do is not to take the job, but... I kind of want you to, for my sake, to tell the truth. You're like a breath of fresh air. And I ain't had any fresh air for a long, long time. During the early hours of the evening, Anne managed her new job well. But later, the noise and excitement mounted, and she found herself separated from Dottie at a table with a big man who had appointed himself her protector. Yeah, now, don't you worry, little girl. You just stick with Butch. And if anyone tries to hurt you, I'll cut out his heart. <laughs> yeah, waiter. Waiter. Yeah? Repeat this order here. Two of the same. Sure. You see, you remind me of my sister. Thank you, Mr. Butch. Four other men told me that tonight. They did? Other lying coyotes. They were just telling you that to put you off your guard. Show me which one said it, and I'll smash their heads in with this chair. Hello there, girlie. You're new here, ain't you? Can't remember seeing you before. You get away from this table. Uh, who do you think you're talking to? I can talk to her if I want to. Now, listen, girlie. I want you. Oh, will you? Oh, 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 stop it, please. You You let me alone. Butch, you've had too much to drink. Go on home. You got no right to tell me what to do. I said get out of here. Now move. Uh, if you wasn't a place... Get going. Yeah, I was going home. Hey, what's going on here? That crazy Butch started a fight. Sergeant Preston stopped him. You'd better watch these men a little closer, Chris. We can take care of this place without any outside help. Oh? You don't seem to be doing a very good job of it. Thanks for stopping them, Sergeant. You go on over and tend to your business, Anne. Boys want you to sing for them. Please, Mr. James, I'm so nervous. Would you mind if I went to my cabin? Why, of course he wouldn't mind. Go get your coat. Hey, look, I don't see that it's any business of the law. Let me decide just what the business of the law is. Get your coat, miss. I'll see that you get back to your cabin safely. I'll be back in a moment. Thank you, Sergeant. As Sergeant Preston and Anne left the cafe, King, the sergeant's big lead dog, rose to his feet from the shadows outside the door where he had been waiting. Anne gave a frightened jump. Oh, what's that? That's my dog, King. Don't be frightened. He won't hurt you. He startled me. I didn't see him lying there. The Klondike Palace is so smoky and crowded, King doesn't like to go in it. I let him wait outside for me. I don't blame him for not liking it. Horrible. You've just started to work there, haven't you? Yes. I had no idea just what I was getting into. How did a girl like you ever get mixed up with Chris James? I never saw him before today. I had to have a job. You see, I, I haven't any money. and I went in to get a job as a waitress. I see. Is, is Chris James bad? He has a very bad record. We checked up on him. He just bought this place and went into debt heavily to get us, and we're wondering why. He isn't the type to stay anywhere very long, and it'll be a long time before he'll have this place free and clear. Well, I don't like him, and I don't like this job. 
If I could just find something else to do, I'd... Oh, it's no use. Uh, here's the cabin, Sergeant. Thank you for bringing me back here. Miss Ann, uh, oh, I'm afraid I don't know your last name. It's Gordon. Ann Gordon. I was so excited over that fight, I, I forgot to introduce myself. Do you intend to go on working here? Well, I'm afraid I haven't any choice. I've just had an idea. I don't know if it'd work. An idea? If we had someone on the inside working with Chris, it would be easy to keep a check on him. You mean I could help the mounted police? Would you be willing to do it? Oh, why, yes. But I don't see how I could help. It won't be a pleasant job or an easy one. You'll have to stay here and pretend to like it until you get the confidence of Chris and can find out just what he's planning. Let's go into the cabin and talk. It's cold out here. All right. Come on in, King. Sit down, Sergeant. Thank you. Down, King. Here beside me, boy. You know, I think King is the most beautiful dog I've ever seen. I want him to understand that we're working together. I may have to leave him with you sometime. Just what is it you want me to do, Sergeant? I'll have to tell you what we know about Chris James first. He tried to file a claim on a rich gold strike down in Selkirk. The man who discovered the gold disappeared. But it seems they had a partner who filed on the claim before Chris tried to do it. Mm. Mm. Do you think Chris James was responsible for the man's disappearance? We were never able to prove it. Chris left Selkirk and turned up here under a different name. His real name isn't Chris James. Uh-huh. Does he know that you're watching him? No, he doesn't know that we know who he is. His plan almost succeeded down there, so we think he may try it again. That's where you can help us. Oh, I see if you can find out beforehand what he's planning to do and let me know, you may help to save someone's life. You can count on me, Sergeant. Thank you, Miss Gordon. Of course. This will mean I may, may not get back to the States if I lose my job. Oh, don't worry about that. We'll see that you do get back. How do you know that you can trust me, Sergeant? Just seeing me this once, I... Why, <laughs> just looking at you, Miss Gordon, you're obviously not the type of girl who'd like a job like the one in the Klondike Palace. I know I can trust you. You can. I'll be coming into the cafe regularly. If there's anything I should know, you can tell me there. Oh, uh, it won't do to let Chris know we're too friendly. I understand. I hope we can get this man before he does any more harm. With your help, I'm sure we can. Two weeks had passed, but though Anne watched carefully, there was nothing to report to Sergeant Preston. She and Dottie were dressing for the evening before going to the cafe. Dottie smiled as she tossed a bright green dress to Anne. You better wear this tonight, honey. It'll do things for your eyes and hair. Oh, but Dottie, this is the best dress you have. Don't make much difference what I hang on this frame of mine. I still look like something to scare children with. Go ahead, wear it. Oh, but if I tore it or hurt it in any way... I don't want you to dress up for our regular customers. Filthy old rum pots. But... I notice you've been seeing quite a bit of that young oh. Tom Summers lately. Well, Tom's been in two or three times. Gosh, kid, after spending two weeks on a job at the Klondike Palace, you can still blush. <laughs> I can't even remember when I could do that. Well, I'm not blushing. I, well, I... it ain't a reflection from that green dress. <laughs> Be happy about it. Don't deny it. Oh, I do like Tom. He's not like the others. Of course he ain't. Didn't I tell you, maybe if you stuck around here a while, it might pay off? Oh, I'm not going to marry him. I mean, well, he hasn't asked me. He hasn't any money. He's just prospecting. Well, maybe one of these days he'll hit the jackpot. 
If he does, I bet he takes you out of this hole so fast it'll make your head spin. Go on now, get into that green dress and get out there and wait for him. It was early, and the usual crowd had not yet assembled at the Klondike Palace. Anne stood alone near the back of the room, dreading the usual task before her. But her eyes lighted up as young Tom Summers suddenly burst in the door. Anne! Anne! I've got wonderful news. Tom, what is it? I hit it, Anne. I made a strike. Oh! Look here. I got a sample in my pocket. This is it. I came straight here to tell you. Oh, Tom, it's wonderful. When did it happen? Just a little while ago. The claim office is closed, so I haven't had time to file my claim yet. But I'll be camping right on the front door tomorrow morning. Well, what's all the excitement about? I hear something about a gold strike. Oh, you sure did, Chris. I've hit it. This is rich pay dirt. Here, look. Yeah, you're quite right, son. But if I was you, I wouldn't shout quite so loud about it till you filed your claim. He's right, Tom. You shouldn't have told anybody. Oh, I, I didn't think anybody heard me. I, I guess I was so excited I didn't think... Anyway, the papers are all ready to file. And nobody's going to beat me to the claim office tomorrow. Especially when they don't know where the strike was made. Got your papers on you? Oh, you bet I have. Maybe I better put them in the safe for you. If you're planning on celebrating. Well, I, I'm not planning to celebrate that much. But I... I would like to have a bottle of champagne with Miss Gordon here. If you let me charge it, Chris. Sure, sure I will. <laughs> you're going to be a rich man, Tom. I won't discourage a future customer. Now, why don't you go back in that booth near the back room where you can talk about your gold strike without letting everybody hear you, huh? That's a good idea. Come on, Miss Gordon. I'll burst if I can't tell somebody all about it. <laughs> I'll bring the champagne over myself. Thanks, Chris. Tom, you shouldn't have told Chris about this. Well, he heard me telling you. Now, don't worry about it. He won't tell anybody. Anyway, I can take care of myself. But I don't trust him. Oh, forget it. There's a, a little subject I want to talk to you about that's just as important as a gold strike. I'm glad we'll be sitting when nobody can butt in. Almost an hour had passed while Anne and Tom were deep in conversation about their future. They were startled when Chris suddenly appeared at the entrance of the booth. Sorry, Anne, but it's time for your song. Oh, gee, Chris. Can't you excuse her this once? This is something special. Ah, she won't be very long. I brought you a drink. You and I can celebrate for a few minutes when she gets back, can't we? Why, sure. I guess so. I'll be back as soon as I can. After all, this is my job. <laughs> Here's your drink, Tom. Let's hope your gold strike brings in a million. Thanks, Chris. Here's to you. Nice going, Ann. Give us another. Yeah, don't stop. Sing Annie Laurie again. Let's have an hour. Laurie, no more. Oh, come on. No, stop. Never mind, kid. You go on back to Tom. I'll handle it. Oh, thanks, Scotty. Never mind, boys. Anne will be back. Oh. Tom, what, what happened to him, Chris? <laughs> He's all right, Anne. Guess that drink I gave him was a little too strong for him. Ah, he just went to sleep. The drink you gave him? Don't worry about him. Carry him into my office and put him on the couch. He'll sleep it off in a little while. But he was all right when I left. Yeah, I thought so, too. But you never can tell. Now you go on back and entertain the boys. I'll call you when he wakes up. Come on, Tom. I'll throw you over my shoulder. I think I'll go back with you. I told you to go back to your job. I'll be back in a minute to see that you're doing it. 
Why, Ann, honey, what's the matter? Oh, Dottie. You're white as a sheet. What's the matter? Tom, Chris gave him something to drink and... Oh, Tom's all right. He's having a little sleep for himself. Guess he ain't used to drinking. Oh, is that all? (laughs) Never mind, dearie. He'll be all right in an hour or so. You better go out and put on a little of my rouge. You look as if you've seen a flock of ghosts. Oh, there's Sergeant Preston. You stay away from him. Your job is with the customers. I'll talk to him. You better go out like Dottie says and try to make your face look human again. But I... Oh, I'll be back in a few minutes. Poor kid. She's sure out of place in the Klondike Palace. Yeah. I think we better find another job for her. Or maybe send her back to the States. Gee, Chris, that'd be swell if you do that. Well, we ain't got time to talk about her. You get back to work. I'm going over and try to get rid of that Monty. He's bad for business. It was over an hour later that Sergeant Preston entered the office at the police barracks and joined Corporal Sanders beside the big stove. King was at the Monty's side. <sighs> it's getting a lot colder. Temperature's dropping fast. Well, I'm glad I'm off duty tonight. <laughs> What's the matter, King? Cold boy? What's hanging on his neck? That's something you put on his collar? Come here, King. This piece of paper attached to his collar. Just a second, boy. His fur is so thick it was hidden, I, I just happened to see it when he looked up at you. It's a note. A note for man Gordon. <laughs> is that dog of yours playing Cupid for you this day, Sergeant? This is serious, Corporal. I didn't have a chance to talk to Anne tonight. I left King out in front of the palace, and Anne must have sneaked out and put this note on his collar. What does it say? It says, go to Chris James' office. Tom Summers is in trouble. I'd better get back there. Want me to go with you, Sergeant? No, it won't be necessary, thanks. I'm sure King and I can handle it. Come along, King. Sergeant Preston as he returned to the Klondike Palace and told him what had happened as they hurried toward the office of Chris James at the back of the cafe. Chris left the bar and went back to his office just as soon as you left the cafe. I didn't dare go back there alone. We'll find out whether he drugged Tom or not. I'm glad you got word to me. Chris wouldn't let me talk to you. I sneaked around the front and found King where you always leave him. I was sure you'd see the note, but I thought you'd see it soon. It was hidden in his fur... He kept whining and barking at me this evening, but I didn't know what was wrong until I got back to barracks. Here's the office, Sergeant. <laughs> Door's locked. Open this door, Chris. He's not in there. Stand over to one side, Anne. I'm going to break this lock. Back, King. <laughs> There's no one in here. Not even Tom. Chris said he was going to put him on this cot. He was here. The cot's messed up. Oh, there's a door leading outside. I'll see if it's locked. This back door is open. Look, tracks leading away from it. One man's tracks. Do you think Tom woke up and left by himself? Those tracks are clear in the moonlight. They were made by a very heavy man. Tom is slim. Chris is big. Look how deep those tracks are. Man even heavier than Chris made them. Or, or else... Or else what, Sergeant? They could have been made by Chris carrying something heavy. He's taken Tom away. Oh, Sergeant. Go back to your cabin, Anne. I'm going to leave King with you and follow these tracks. I'll be able to see them in the moonlight. But you'd better take King. You may need him. You may need him more than I do. Take him to your cabin and stay there till I get back. The big gray dog, King, lay in the corner of Anne's cabin, almost invisible in the shadows. A low growl rumbled in his throat, and he rose as he heard heavy footsteps approaching the cabin. But he obeyed Anne when she spoke to him softly. Down, King. Lie there in the shadows and be quiet. 
Quiet, King. Who is it? Chris. I've been looking for you, Anne. Why'd you leave the cafe? Why, I was tired. Shut the door. I, uh... I thought maybe you'd like to take a little trip. A trip? Yeah. Gonna give you enough money to send you back to the States. That is... You'll start tomorrow. But why? Is it because... Because of what? Why? Uh, I don't know. You were going to say because of Tom, weren't you? What have you done with him? Where is he? He was drunk. He left my office by the back door. That's not true. You put something into his drink. I know you did. Oh, and that's why you want to get to that Mountie. Well, there's more than one way to quiet that wagon tongue of yours, and I'll give you a little sample of it right now. No, no, don't, Chris. Like a flash of lightning, the big dog rose from the shadows and hurled himself at Chris. Chris tried to fight him off, but the weight of King was too much for him, and he sprawled on the floor of the cabin and lay there terror-stricken. As the great dog stood over him, his fangs bared. Hold him there, King. Got him, fellow. Hold him. Hey, cut him off. He might kill me. That dog is going to watch you until Sergeant Preston gets here. Sergeant Preston? No. What? What's going on in here? Done. Dottie, this dog attacked me. Get your gun and shoot him. Hurry. Sure, it's right here, my dear. No, Dottie, don't. That's King. Sergeant Preston's dog. Chris was trying to choke me. What? No, no, she's lying. Dottie, shoot this dog. If you'll do it, I promise you'll have a fortune. We'll be able to leave the Yukon. You'll be rich. Shoot this dog so as I can get up there. Wait. Dottie, please believe me. Chris drugged Tom and took him away. Tom struck gold today, and Chris is trying to get his claim. Tom struck gold, and Chris is... Dottie will be rich. You'll never have to work again the rest of your life. It's what you always wanted. I'll use this gun all right, and it's pointing straight at you, Chris. No, you yellow coward. No. In case that dog gets tired of watching you, I'll be the second line of defense. No. What do you want to do with the man? Oh, thank you, Dottie. Sergeant Preston is coming back here. We'll wait for him. He's trying to find out what happened to Tom. Well, then, all we have to do is sit and watch this low-down thief squirm. No, Dottie, no. I don't think this gun is even necessary. That dog seems to be doing a fine job of holding him down. I'd offer you some tea while we're waiting, Chris, but I haven't any arsenic to put in it. Why are you? See who that is, Ann. Sergeant Preston. Are you all right, Ann? Oh, there's Chris. Oh, I'm so glad you got here. Where's Tom? He's in his cabin, and he's all right. King is holding Chris. He tried to kill me. I was afraid of something like that. All right, King, old boy. Good work. Back, fella. Let him up. Get up, Chris. Look, I I wasn't trying to kill her. This dog jumped at me for no reason at all. Sergeant, what about Tom? I found him where Chris left him, lying in the snow beside his own cabin. He'd been drugged, and he would have frozen to death in a couple of hours without waking up. Why, that... I'd better put this gun away before I lose my temper. Look, I don't know anything about it. Tom had too much to drink and he walked home by himself. That's the way you wanted it to look, isn't it? Hand over those papers you took from Tom's pocket, showing the location to his claim. Look, I don't know what you're talking about. All right, I'll search you. Stand still. Ah, here they are. And they have Tom's name on them. You were a big help, Ann. Why, that little double cross. That'll do, Chris. I still got this gun, and my temper's rising. You'd better put that gun away, Dottie. King and I can handle him. Oh, you were wonderful, Dottie, not to listen to Chris. I was afraid for a minute that you'd be tempted to shoot King. No, honey. You see, you're the one I want to see get out of this place. 
you and Tom. And say, maybe after you're married, you'll let me come over to see you once in a while. You know, when I need a breath of fresh air. You'll always be the best friend in the world. Thanks, Dottie. You don't have to thank me for helping you. That dog had everything under control when I got here. King was what saved me. Thank you, old fellow. Yes, King. It looks as if this case is closed. The Challenge of the Yukon, a copyrighted feature, is brought to you each week at this time, and all names and incidents used are fictitious. Listen again next week to another exciting adventure during the days of the gold rush. Fred Foy speaking. This program came to you from Detroit. If it's a case of murder you'd like, uh, to listen to, that is, be sure to latch on to the Murder and Mr. Malone Show. Here's a Saturday night thriller primed to bring you minute after minute of exciting mystery and adventure. Welcome back to Yesterday Today. You just heard the challenge of the Yukon and uh, McLean. Yes, Jay. So, Will gave me the uh, the uh, advertisement to order the parts for the snow indoors mm-hmm. machine. Yep. From It was on the page with some other ads torn out of the back of a magazine. And I- I've forgotten all about that now because I'm distracted by this other ad here that, that you can build your own hovercraft. And all you need is the motor from a vacuum cleaner and a chair or something. And it's supposed to be able to... And it's supposed to lift like up to 200 pounds. And it says you can hover around your school or neighborhood on it. And um, th- I, I think this might be legit. So I'm going to go take apart our vacuum cleaner and see if I can make a hovercraft out of that. Slight uh, problem. I'm, I'm still interested in making the snow Slight indoors. Problem, Don't get me Jay. wrong, McLean. I've been inside too long. It's hot. First out. of what? all... That is literally impossible, and that will never work. Second of all, you have to send in 20,000 gum wrappers to get that hovercraft. I don't think you're going to be able to get it, dude. No, it's it's the blueprints to the hovercraft, McLean. You have to supply the parts yourself and build it yourself. But this gum ain't going to chew itself, so let's get going, huh? While we do that, uh, this is Johnny Dollar, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, a five-part episode with Bob Bailey in the picture postcard matter where the man has to go up to Zurich, Switzerland. It's not hot in Zurich, Switzerland. I wish I was in Zurich, Switzerland right now. It's hot here, guys. I wonder what the weather's like in Zurich right now. Start chewing gum, McLean! I... I'm not gonna chew gum! Chew like you've never chewed before! From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Tom Wilkins at Global Casualty, Johnny. Oh, hi, Tom. How are you doing? Lousy. Right now I've got one big headache. A hundred thousand dollar headache. Try an ice bag and go back to bed. A bag of ice would cure me all right, but not the kind of ice you're thinking of. Hmm? A hundred thousand bucks worth of uncut diamonds, Johnny. They've been stolen and we wrote the policy on them. A hundred thousand? That's a fat lot of rocks, Tom. And a fat fee if you can recover them for us. You interested? Oh, that's the understatement of the week. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the home office, Global Casualty, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenditures during my investigation of the picture postcard matter.
Expense account item one, a dollar and a quarter. Taxi to the office of Global Casualty, where Tom Wilkins was waiting for me. Now, looks like we're bucking a pretty well-organized outfit in this deal, Johnny. The way they pulled the job shows they'd planned it out pretty well. How did it happen, Tom, and where? The diamonds were being taken by a special courier from Zurich, Switzerland, to Amsterdam. They got lifted at the Zurich airport. How? The airport was crowded. The courier was carrying the diamonds in a leather briefcase strapped to his wrist. A fight broke out suddenly. In the confusion, the courier was slugged and the case cut loose from him. After which the fight suddenly stopped, huh? Yeah. It was obviously a rigged brawl. By the time the police arrived, the people involved had disappeared. With the uncut diamonds. Mm -hmm. Sounds like their timing was pretty good. Too good. How about the courier? You get a look at the guy who slugged him? No, it happened from behind. Anybody in the airport crowd able to describe the guys who'd rigged the brawl? Well, no clear description. Somebody mentioned that one of the men involved was stocky, sort of a bullneck. Oh, great. Probably only a couple of million people answering that description. True. Zurich police turn up anything? Not a thing. Well, look, Tom, I'm an insurance investigator, not a magician. You better get yourself another boy. Whoa, Johnny. We got one lead, and it could be enough if it's on the level. Oh, well, let's have it. The robbery was day before yesterday. This morning, I got an airmail special delivery letter from Zurich. Here, take a look. Uh Regarding the recent diamond matter, I have information which may enable you to recover them. For a reward. So I see. And he wants to talk to somebody about it. Yeah. And I nominate you. It's signed Sebastian. Any idea who he is? None at all. As you see, I was to reply to general delivery in Zurich. I did. Told him you were the one. Uh Uh-huh. How do I find him? Well, read on. You're to register at the Polo Hotel in Zurich. He or she will contact you there. You think it's on the level? I don't know. Could be a phony. Somebody trying to ace in and promote a fast buck. It's happened before. Sure, and this could be another one. But right now, it's the only lead we've got. We've got to take a chance and go along with it. I can't say I care for the postscript here. Extreme caution necessary. Leads me to think there's one thing you'd better be real sure about, Johnny. What's that? That you don't get contacted by the wrong guy. And so, with the sun sinking slowly in the west and my morale slowly following suit, I said goodbye to my cheerful friend and set sail for distant shores. Item two, $622, plane fare and incidentals to Zurich, Switzerland. It was a quiet, uneventful flight, and I had a lot of time to think. But I didn't much like what I was thinking. Whoever had lifted the uncut stones wouldn't exactly like the idea of an informant spilling the beans to me, and I had a slight hunch I'd be lucky if beans were the only thing that got spilled. My plane landed at Zurich in the late afternoon. I hired a cab, that's item three, one dollar, to take me to the Polo Hotel. The city looked bright, fresh, and clean. It gave me a lift. And the sight of a very pretty girl walking quickly to my cab as we were ready to pull away from the airport didn't hurt either. Oh, darling, I... Well, hello. I'm so sorry. I'd made a mistake. Darn it. I thought you were... That was somebody else. Yeah, that's the trouble with having an ordinary-looking face. Well, I wouldn't call it ordinary. But, but please... Well... Please, I wonder, could I share your cab into the city? Oh, by all means. I guess my friend was not on that plane after all. Oh, that's rough. Okay, driver. Very good of you. Well, I'm a real prince when you get to know me, Miss... Schaefer. Ilsa Schaefer. Johnny Dollar. And speaking of getting to know me... Driver, please, pull up. Well, hey, how come? Oh, I am so sorry, Mr. Dollar. I just remembered something I have to do. We were just beginning to get acquainted. I know. A pity, isn't it? Well, look, wait, don't... Well, perhaps this will make up for it. Well, 
Offhand, I can't think of a better start. Now, if you'll only... Goodbye. Hey, Ilsa, wait. Hmm. Well, if this is the customary Swiss hospitality driver, sign me up. Then I realized that Ilsa had forgotten her purse. I had the driver cruise around a few minutes, but we didn't see her anywhere. So I dropped her purse off at the lost and found office of the taxicab company, then went on to the Polo Hotel. It was in the newer quarter of Zurich, on the lower slopes of the Zurichberg. I went inside and started for the desk in the lobby, but I didn't quite make it. Turn here, please. Sorry, I'm heading for the desk. I said turn here, please. You know, I can't say I care for the way you keep nudging me in the ribs. That wouldn't be a gun, would it? Yes, it would. Now, if you will, please come with me. Okay, mister. Where to? To the side entrance. I'll say one thing. I sure didn't expect all the reception committees. The first one I like much better. Huh? Skip it, will you? Outside. That car over there. Hey, look, isn't it about time you tell me what this is all about? There's no use pretending you do not know. The diamonds. Oh, you think I've got them, maybe? I do not think. I'm sure of it. Well, this may come as a nasty surprise to you, mister, but I... I have no time to waste. She entered your cab with a purse. She? And... Ilsa? And left without it. And she was, uh, shall we say, very friendly to you. Oh, that I remember. And I have no complaints, believe me, but she didn't give me any diamonds. I warn you. They weren't in her purse, either. They checked the contents at Lost and Found. Get into the car. Hey, look, this routine won't get you anywhere. Into the car. Hey, take it easy, friend. You're trying to poke a hole in my ribs. Okay, okay, relax. Take it into the car. I jerked the door open suddenly and knocked him off balance. I swung at him, but he ducked and lunged at me. I went sprawling into the street in front of an oncoming car. The fenders hit me a glancing blow and I bounced against the curb. By the time I could get to my feet again, my friend with a gun had disappeared and so had his car. I wasn't hurt, but it took several minutes to convince the very scared cab driver who'd accidentally hit me. He should be scared. Expense account item four, $12.75. Telephone call to Tom Wilkins at Global Casualty Bank in the States. I'm glad you called, Johnny. Uh, any luck so far? No luck, but sure a lot of action. Well, what do you mean? Well, first off, an attractive little doll shares my cab for a few blocks, plants a kiss on me, and scrambles out, leaving her purse behind. What? Then a strong arm collars me and tells me the girl must have passed the diamonds to me in the cab. Oh, but that doesn't make sense. Well, anyway, that's what happened so far. Plus, my almost getting run over in the process. Look, Johnny, I knew this wouldn't be an easy assignment, but... Uh... Yeah, I know. Yeah. Don't worry, Tom. I'm still all in one piece. But I'm beginning to realize what Sebastian meant in his letter about extreme caution being necessary. Has anyone contacted you yet? No, only the aforementioned pair. No sign of this Sebastian, whoever he or she is. Well, I still don't understand Neither why... Neither do I. Either the boys who stole the diamonds have lost them, or there's another outfit trying to get their hands on them. In which case, I'm right in the middle. Johnny, Sebastian's still our only lead. You've got to give him plenty of chance to contact you. Yeah, I know. We'll do. But be careful. Look, I'm with you, believe me. I went up to my room and stretched out on the bed to wait. Two hours went by. Nothing happened. Finally, I went down to the lobby. Expense account item 5, 30 cents, two English-language newspapers. I settled down in the most conspicuous chair I could find and waited some more. Still nothing. I worked my way through the newspapers slowly. Then, finally, somebody came over to the chair that was back-to-back with mine. I took a quick look. He was well-dressed, dark wavy hair, medium height. 
But he paid no attention to me and started reading his newspaper. Looked like a wrong guess. Maybe I'd have to wait until tomorrow. So I started to get up. Mr. Dollar. Mm, what? Please, put your newspaper in front of your face and do not turn around. Okay. Who are you? Sebastian, who wrote the letter to your company in the United States. Oh? It must not appear we are talking to each other. Somebody watching us? I would not doubt it. So you want to talk about the robbery of those uncut diamonds? How do I know you have any real information? I will give you proof presently. But first, let us talk about the reward. What is the amount? Depends on how good the information is, Sebastian. I am talking about the diamonds. Oh? Suppose I were to tell you that I was in a position to guarantee their return. Go on. For $25,000 and no further investigation, I will arrange for the return of the diamonds. I'd have to have proof that you know what you're talking about. Of course. Let me see. My back is to you. Is it your right hand which is closest to the wall and shielded from the lobby? Yeah. Put it down beside your chair. Do not take the newspaper away from your face. Okay. Here. Picture postcard. Yes. Addressed to me, as you see. The writing's in German. What does it mean? It is the equivalent of your American expression, having wonderful time, wish you were here. Signed by F. Gruner. Who's he or she? A friend. Look at the picture on the other side. The Kleibach Inn? Yes. An inn in the town of Kleibach in the Alps, several hours from here. Hey, wait a minute. Are the diamonds at the Kleibach Inn? No. But this postcard is part of the key to their location. Part of the key? Oh, now, look, Sebastian, this just isn't good enough. I can't... Someone is coming. I cannot talk further with you here. It is not safe. Do not worry. I will furnish all the proof you need. When? Tonight. Now listen carefully. I am going. I will leave my newspaper on the floor beside my chair. Wait a few minutes, then get up. Drop your paper, and when you pick it up, pick up mine also. Then what? On an inner page of my paper, I have written my address. Come there in two hours. If I am not there, wait for me. Now, just a minute. How can I... Please. There is no time for further questions. Two hours, Mr. Dollar. In my room. Two hours later, I went to the address he'd given me. A small apartment in another part of the city. (laughs) Now answer. He hadn't arrived yet. I went inside and waited. Fifteen minutes went by. No sign of Sebastian. And then something started pecking away at my brain. A faint sound. I finally pegged it. A dripping faucet. It came from the bathroom. The bathtub was full. In it, floating face down, was Sebastian. Here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a perfect stranger wants to get acquainted and a beautiful girl asks me to go skiing. Trouble is, either or both of them could be trying to kill me. Join us, won't you? 
From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Inspector Herniger of the Zurich Police, Herr Dollar. Oh, yeah, Inspector. I talked to one of your men last night. Yeah, when you report the murder of this man called Sebastian. Yeah, any line on this killer? Not as yet. We are somewhat at a loss as to motive. That I think I can supply. So? Sebastian apparently had information about the robbery of some uncut diamonds here in Zurich. So? Yeah, and he was willing to sell his information. But somebody called off the sale permanently. So find the man who lifted the stones and we'll have Sebastian's killer. Perhaps. You don't sound convinced. It appears quite possible, Herr Dollar, that Sebastian was killed by a woman. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office, Global Casualty, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the picture postcard matter. Location, Zurich, Switzerland. Expense account continued. Item six, one dollar even. Cab fare from the Polo Hotel to police headquarters. Inspector Herniger was a big man who moved and talked slowly. But one look at his very cold, slate-gray eyes told you his brain was moving a lot faster. Herr Dollar, I believe you told my lieutenant last evening that you were an insurance investigator. That's right, Inspector. And that you are in Zurich to investigate loss of a hundred thousand American dollars in diamonds at the airport a few days ago. Right. Well, uh, perhaps you had better supply me with such background as you may have. Gladly. The robbery itself, of course, you know about. A fight broke out at the airport. We know that it was, as you say, rigged. To create confusion. Yeah, and in the confusion, the courier who was carrying the stones was slugged. His briefcase was cut away from his wrist. Whereupon the assailants quickly melted away into the crowd. The exactness of their timing suggests that they were well organized and had planned a robbery in some detail. The next day, the company I'm representing got a letter from this man, Sebastian. He claimed to have information on the robbery and would help us recover the stones for a price. And you were sent to contact this Sebastian? Yeah. Or rather, I was sent here so that Sebastian could contact me. And did he? He did. But as it turned out, he practically had to stand in line. I am afraid I do not follow you. Well, first off, a very attractive young lady popped into my cab as I was leaving the airport for the hotel, asked to share the cab. Oh? Two blocks later, she had the driver stop, planted a kiss on me, and jumped out. Indeed. You Americans seem to work fast, Herr Dollar. Yeah, I'm afraid I can't chalk up the incident to my personal charm, Inspector. She left her purse in the cab, and I gather the idea was to make somebody else think she'd pass the diamonds to me. And who would this somebody else be? A guy who jumped me in the lobby of the Pola Hotel. He was pretty convinced I had the stones. Mm. And how would the dead man Sebastian fit in? Well, it's my hunch. Sebastian was a member of the outfit who stole them in the first place. He could have been trying to play both ends against the middle. How do you arrive at that conclusion? Well, look, we know there were several members of the group... Okay, so they're bound to take a big loss when they fence the diamonds. They'd be lucky to get half the value, which would be 50000 True. Split three or four ways, that would cut the shares down considerably. But if Sebastian could engineer the return of the stones and collect a $25,000 reward for it, he'd be way ahead of the game. And Sebastian was secretly negotiating with you. Yeah, behind a newspaper in the hotel lobby. He wanted me to meet him in his room later so he could talk. I went there. I found him in the bathtub dead. 
And he had given you no specific information as to the location of the diamonds? Only this, Inspector. A picture postcard? Uh-huh. The Kleibach Inn. He told me Kleibach was a small resort village up in the Alps. I know the place. Uh, the card is addressed to Sebastian and signed by F. Gruner. He said Gruner was a friend of his. Perhaps the diamonds are at the Kleibach Inn. He said no, that this card was only part of the key to finding them. And he gave you no indication as to what the rest of the key to their location was? No, no, none at all. I gather that's what we were going to talk about in his room later. But somebody else apparently had different ideas. Yeah. Say, look, you, you said over the phone that Sebastian's killer could have been a woman. Well, he was struck on the head from behind, but only hard enough to stun him. His death was due to drowning in the bathtub. Many times in our experience, women have chosen such a method. The woman, then, could be Ilsa. Yeah. Or perhaps one of Sebastian's gang who learned of his plans. Very annoying, Herr Dollar. Many possibilities. But nothing tangible. Well, I'm heading for that place on the postcard, Inspector. The Kleibach Inn? Yeah. At this point, part of a key is better than none. Expense account item 7, $16.20 American. Transportation and incidentals to the Kleibach Inn. The postcard didn't do justice to the place. The village nestled in a little meadow below some towering peaks. Oh, above it was the inn, a chalet-type building that looked out over the valley. And it was a peaceful scene. A few cows in the meadow with jangling bells. A lot of snow on the peaks. A sky of startlingly clear blue and a few wisps of clouds nudging the peaks. Inside, the inn looked spacious and comfortable with a friendly fire crackling in the huge fireplace and a friendly-looking fellow behind the desk. Welcome to the Kleibach Inn. Well, thanks. Uh, please sign here. Okay. Thank you, Herr Dollar, is it? Yeah. You the manager? Yeah, I am Otto Friedrich, your host. Well, maybe you could help me, Otto. I am at your service. All right. Take a look at this postcard. Oh, what's the matter? That is not the good picture of the inn. I had some new ones made. You see, the lighting is wrong in this picture. The entire north wing is in the shadows. Now, in the good picture... Yeah, they... yeah. Well, what I want to know is, do you sell these cards here? Not those cards, no. I have the new cards. See? Here is one. Now, see how much better... Well, how about in the village? Do they sell the old cards there? <sighs> yeah, I'm afraid so, in one or two shops. I have told them a hundred times I will give them the new ones if only yeah. they will. You see, it's... Yes, a... it's the lighting. You ever hear the name Sebastian around here? Sebastian. Sebastian, Sebastian. No need to memorize it. Just tell me if you've heard it, please. Is it a first name or a last name? There you've got me. Sebastian. No, I do not remember hearing that name. I'll be glad to check my register well, for how, uh, how about F. Gruner? He's the one who sent the car to Sebastian. Gruner. 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 Perhaps I heard the name in the village somewhere. Oh, I will see what I can find out. Okay, thanks. In the meantime, I hope you'll be comfortable here and enjoy your visit. Ski equipment is at your disposal. Thanks. But I'll enjoy my visit a lot more if I can find F. Gruner. Okay, okay, coming. Oh, I say, I, I'm looking for a chap named Dollar who's supposed to be occupying this room. I'm Johnny Dollar. You? 
Are you certain? Reasonably, why? Oh, what a pity. Well, I'm sorry, old man, but there's not very much I can do about it. Oh, I, I didn't mean that. I, I, I say, you must forgive me. Must I? Well, I mean, well, you see, I used to know a chap in London named Dollar. Delightful fellow, really. Uh, incidentally, I'm Geoffrey Harris. We had ripping times together. How jolly for you. And when I heard that a chap named Dollar had registered here at the inn, well, naturally, I thought it must be old Bunny. Bunny? Yes, old Bunny Dollar. Oh, Bunny was just a dick nickname, you see. Well, that's reassuring, Harris. You know, there is a bit of a resemblance... You wouldn't mind a chance to be his brother or cousin, would you? No, no. Well, after all, Dollar's a bit of an odd name, and I don't No, I'm to... sorry. If you'll excuse me, I'm on my way downstairs. Oh, splendid. Well, so am I. Oh? <laughs> it's quite a coincidence, is it? Is it? Well, running to you this way, I mean, uh, you're absolutely sure that you, you don't know Bunny Dollar? This, I can guarantee. Oh, what a pity. He's really worlds of fun. Oh, yes, I can imagine. But what do you know? Uh, what's that? Hmm? Oh, uh, nothing. I, I just wanted an old friend over at the bar. See you later, Harris. Oh, I see. So I can see your point, old man. Well, hello, Ilsa. Uh, oh. It is Ilsa Schaefer, isn't it? Why, you're the yeah, one. that's right. Johnny Dollar, the one you shared a cab with back in Surrey. Yes, of course. What a coincidence. Isn't it? Incidentally, Johnny, I want to thank you for turning my purse in. It was foolish of me to leave it in your cab. Just an oversight, huh? Why, yes, of course. I mean, you didn't by any chance leave it in the cab on purpose, huh? Well, of course not. Why would I do a thing like that? Oh, maybe so somebody else would think you passed something along to me in that cab, besides a kiss. That kiss? I suppose I shouldn't have been so impulsive. Oh, I didn't object to that. But I did object to a muscle man jumping me and acting like you had given me something. Oh? What was I supposed to have given you? You don't have any idea? No. Honestly, I don't. Okay. We'll let that ride for the time being. Mind if I ask what you're doing here at the Klabak Inn? Oh, this is a favorite spot of mine. I like to ski. Oh. You don't seem convinced. I really am quite a good skier, Johnny. Are you? As a matter of fact, I plan to go skiing in the morning. Would you like to come with me? Well, now, that might be pretty interesting. Uh, just a minute. I'll go check with Otto, see if I can borrow some skis. Be right back. All right, Johnny. Ah, Herr Dollar. And how are you enjoying your stay so far? Just fine, Otto, fine. Uh, look, about that girl over at the bar. Fräulein Schiefer. Oh, a most attractive young lady, no? A most attractive young lady, yes. Um, this seems to be a favorite spot of hers. I'm very happy to hear that, Herr Dollar. I suppose she comes here often, huh? This is her first visit to the Kleibach Inn. You're sure about that? Of course. I would certainly remember a young lady like her. Yes, this is her first visit, but I hope it will not be her last. Don't count on it, Otto. So Elsa was lying about coming here often. That could mean she'd lied about a few other things, too, like leaving her purse in my cab accidentally. She might have been trying to make it look like she'd passed the stolen diamonds on to me and thus take the heat off herself and whoever she was working with. I remembered what Inspector Honiger had told me, that Sebastian's killer could be a woman. I went back to the bar. Did you arrange for the skis? Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm all set. Good. Tomorrow morning, then. All right, where? Well, I had in mind the North Slope, but uh, perhaps you would not like that. Why not? 
Some people consider it too dangerous. Oh, I don't think I should worry about the danger, do you? After all, Elsa, I'll be in the best of hands. Thank you. I'm sure you'll take good care of me. I will certainly try to, Johnny. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, well, skiing's a strenuous sport. So is hunting. Put them together, and it's liable to kill you. Join us, won't you? From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Arthur, the innkeeper. I have a telephone call for you from Police Inspector Honegger in Zurich. I will put him on. Go ahead. Hi, Inspector. Any line on Sebastian's killer? Uh, not yet, Herr Dollar. That also means no line on the stolen diamonds, huh? I do not know. You recall the picture postcard Sebastian gave you before his death? The picture of the Kleibach Inn? Sure. He said it was part of a key to the location of the diamonds. That's why I came up here to the inn. But I haven't found any sign of them. We have been watching Sebastian's apartment. This morning, the second part of the key arrived in his mailbox. Another postcard? Yes. I am sending it on to you. See what you can make of it. Looks like we're in the middle of a game of some kind. Have you been able to locate the missing murder suspect, Ilse Schaefer? I've not only located her, in five minutes I'm going skiing with her. What? Herr Dollar, do you think that is wise for you? It's one way of finding out if she ties in. I just hope it doesn't turn out to be the hard way. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office Global Casualty in Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the picture postcard matter. Location, Clybox, Switzerland. Expense account continued. Item 7, $3 American, rental on ski equipment. Ilsa Schaefer told me she'd come to Clybox to go skiing, and I wanted to make sure that was her reason. There'd been too many coincidences about her to suit me, First, the way she'd popped into my cab in Zurich, then popped out two blocks later, leaving her purse behind. Right after that, I'd been jumped by a strong arm who was sure Ilsa had passed the stolen diamonds to me. And now she turns up suddenly at the Kleibach Inn. I spotted her waiting for me at the ski lift. Come on, Johnny, you're late. In her skiing outfit, she could have passed for Miss Switzerland. But one nasty little thought kept coming into my brain, kept marring the picture. She could also be Sebastian's killer. We rode the lift up to the top, then took off along the ridges. She skied like she was born to it. Easy, smooth, and graceful. It had been four years since I'd last been on skis, and as I struggled to keep up with her, I must have looked like a rusty snowplow. We worked our way out on the crest of one of the ridges. Let's stop here a moment. Well, that suits me fine. <sighs> you winded? This is not exactly sea level. You'll get used to it. You see, I really can ski, Johnny. Oh, that's an understatement. Do you have a cigarette? Yeah, sure. Here. 
Thanks. Isn't it beautiful up here, Johnny? Yeah. You see that little dot way down there? That is the inn. A long way down. That's what I like about skiing. Everything is so remote, so far below. When you're up here, all that down there, it, it just doesn't exist anymore. It's always there when you get back, though. <laughs> you, you are too practical, Johnny. But, you know, it's fun being with you. Thanks. I still can't get over it. What? Well, the coincidence that I should share your cab in Zurich and then run into you again at the Kleibach Inn. But I am glad. Aren't you? Can't say that I... Johnny! Must have come from that other ridge behind the rocks. Closer. We're sitting ducks on this ridge. Quick! Down the left side of it. There is a shortcut. Let's go. Keep low, Elsa. Who could be shooting at us? We'll figure that out when we get out of range. He's still right with us. We'll be out of sight in a moment. Could be a moment too late. There. We are past the shoulder. Yeah. Slope's pretty steep here. This is the quickest way. The shoulder of the ridge will keep us out of sight. Maybe. What do you mean? We get going much faster. We're going to take off. Hey, ahead of us, a cliff. Johnny, stop! What do you think I'm trying to do? Johnny, Johnny, watch out! Can't Johnny! Oh, brother. Oh, Johnny. Four feet more and I... Oh, thank heaven. This was a real great route you picked, Ilsa. Oh, I... I can't tell you how sorry I am. Sorry I didn't go over the edge. Oh, of course not. I mean, I'm... I'm sorry that in the excitement... I forgot about the avalanche. Avalanche? Yes, several months ago. It took away part of the slope and left this sheer drop. Forgot about it, huh? Well, I... I just told you I did. I noticed you didn't have much trouble stopping in time. But I was behind you. Oh, yeah, that's just where you were, behind me. What are you trying to say, Johnny? Just that this is one coincidence too many, Ilsa. We just happened to stop on the top of the ridge right where I make a grade-A target... Then you just happen to forget there's a sheer drop on this shortcut you got me to take. But I explained Come on, we're that... going back to the inn. The fire feels good, doesn't it? Johnny, Johnny, what is it? What's the matter? All those things you said up on the ridge... I'm waiting, Elsa. Waiting for what? For you to open up and tell me what this is all about and how you fit into the deal. Deal? Oh, cut it out, will you? You didn't just happen to share my cab back in Zurich. The whole thing was rigged so it would look like you passed those stolen diamonds along to me. Stolen? Johnny, I don't know anything about stolen diamonds. I suppose you also don't know anything about a man named Sebastian. Yes, I know Sebastian. What has he got to do with... What about his murder? Murder? Oh, no. Oh, yes. I, I, I can't believe it. Sebastian did. Yeah. And you've already admitted you knew Sebastian. Now let's have the rest of the story. Straight. Oh. Well, Sebastian was a friend of mine. Friend? Nothing more. He, he had asked me to share your cab at the airport and to leave my purse in it. Why did he want you to do that? I don't know. He, well, he said he was in some kind of trouble and needed help. He said if I would do that, it would help him. Ilsa, you'll have to do better than that. But I am telling you the truth. No, you... Hey, wait a minute. 
You claim you didn't know what kind of trouble Sebastian was in. No, he didn't tell you me. You also claim you don't know anything about the diamonds, $100,000 worth. What? I read about that in the newspapers, but... Oh, wait a moment. Are you saying that Sebastian was involved in it? Up to his ears. I'm sorry to hear that, Johnny. But you must believe me. I did not know anything about it. You're either telling the truth or you're a whale of an actress, Ilsa. I'm telling you the truth. Okay. But about that taxi cab in Zurich, I don't understand. Sebastian was trying to double-cross the rest of the outfit by negotiating with me for the return of the diamonds. But apparently there was another outfit after the diamonds. He wanted to make it look to them like he'd passed the diamonds along to take the heat off. You said a man attacked you after I had left your cab. Yeah. He obviously thought you'd slip me the diamonds. So Sebastian was setting me up as a patsy on the one hand and negotiating with me on the other. Who could have killed him? Good question. Could be the outfit trying to grab the stones. Or Sebastian's own crowd found out he was trying to sell them out. And the person who shot at us up on the Same two possibilities. Which reminds me, you still haven't explained how you happened to come up here to the Kleibach Inn. Well, Sebastian told me he had unfinished business in Zurich... And he would meet me here in a few days, and we would go skiing. I see. Tell me, did you know any of Sebastian's friends? One or two, slightly. Was one of them big and powerful, thick features, almost bald? Mm, No. Why? Well, he's the one who jumped me in the hotel lobby after my cab ride with you. Oh, no, no. I am certain I would remember him the way you describe him. Oh, there was a man Sebastian spent a great deal of time with, but he was short and stocky with... Very thick neck. Well, that fits the description of one of the men in the robbery at the Zurich airport. Do you know his name? Why, um... Bruner, I think it was. Could it have been Gruner? Yes, yes. Gruner. The man who sent the postcard to Sebastian. Yeah, that ties in all right. Postcard? Oh, I'll skip that. Was one of Sebastian's friends an Englishman? Mm, Not that I know of. Why? Well, a fellow named Jeffrey Harris here at the hotel has been trying to strike up an acquaintance with me. Claims he thought I was old Bunny Dollar, a friend of his from London. Oh, well. Johnny, if you'll excuse me, I'm very tired and upset about this news of Sebastian. I I think I'll go to my room. Yeah, okay, Elsa. If there's anything more I can do... Don't worry. I'll let you know. All right. I'll see you later. Herr Dollar? Oh, Otto. Did you enjoy your skiing? Well, let's say it was real interesting. Got a question for you, Otto. Huh? As a man of experience, how do you tell if a woman is lying? <laughs> okay, Adola. As an innkeeper, I learned long ago that one listens to a woman, agrees with her, smiles politely, keeps his eyes open, and believes what he wishes about her. Yeah, well, I guess that's as good advice as any. Uh, Herr Dollar, this letter arrived for you from Zurich by special messenger while you were... Oh, yeah, I was expecting it. Thanks, Otto. One more thing. Yeah? Did anybody else go skiing this morning? From the inn? No. I see. But the Englishman... Jeffrey Harris? What about him? He likes to climb the rocks. He went out for a while. Climbing rocks, huh? Thanks a lot. Yeah. Jeffrey Harris could be my boy, all right. But at the moment, I was more interested in the contents of the envelope Police Inspector Honiger had sent me from Zurich. I tore it open and examined the postcard inside. Expense item eight, two and a half, long-distance call to Zurich and Honiger. You 
Received the postcard, Herr Dollar. Yeah, from Gruner to Sebastian. A picture of a chalet on the side of a mountain. You say this card arrived in Sebastian's mailbox? This morning. Apparently, Gruner is unaware of Sebastian's death. Uh, what do you make of the card? Well, the chalet in the picture is sort of a small halfway house for skiers. Is it attended? No, empty most of the time. Herr Dollar... Possibly the first postcard of the inn was simply for the purpose of guiding Sebastian to Kleibach. The second is perhaps a picture of the actual location of the diamonds. That's what I'm going up there to find out. The trail up the mountain started in back of the inn. I worked my way up the ridge slowly, keeping an eye on every clump of rock, just in case my friend with the rifle was still on the prowl. Near the crest, I stop a breath. Suddenly, I spotted something moving far down the slope below me. Someone was descending from rock to rock, almost down to the inn. It was too far to tell for sure, but it looked like the Englishman, Jeffrey Harris. I started my climb again. Ten minutes later, I reached the halfway house, the place on the postcard. It was small, just a shelter, and there was no sign of life. Inside, the place was in a shambles, completely torn about. If this had been the hiding place of the stolen diamonds... Somebody had sure beat me to it. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a third part of the key turns up in the form of a corpse. Join us, won't you? From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Inspector Hunniger of the Zurich Police, Herr Dollar. Hi, Inspector. Where are you? Downstairs, in the lobby of the inn. I came up from Zurich to see if that picture postcard I sent you was of help in locating the stolen diamonds. Afraid not, Inspector. I located the chalet on the postcard, all right. It's sort of a shelter for skiers up on a ridge. Well? Well, when I got there, the place had been turned upside down. If the diamonds were hidden there, somebody sure beat me to it. I see. So it looks like we're at a dead end. Perhaps not. What do you mean? You recall that in Zurich, a large man attacked you thinking that you had the diamonds? Recall it? I've still got the lumps to prove it. What about him? A man answering that description bought a railroad ticket here to Kleibach last night. Oh? We have reason to believe that he is somewhere here in the village now. That could mean that the diamonds that he and you are looking for are here after all. I'll be right down, Inspector. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Global Casualty in Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the picture postcard matter. Location, Clybox, Switzerland. Expense account continued. Item 9, 70 cents. One pot of coffee for Inspector Honiger and myself at the Clybox Inn. Ah, most perplexing case, Herr Dollar. A skillfully timed robbery of the uncut diamonds at the Zurich airport last week... And then these puzzling postcards supposedly giving the location of the diamonds. Yeah, they've got to be the key, Inspector. If we can only figure them out. Look, 
We know now that Sebastian was in on the robbery and was trying to negotiate secretly for the return of the stones. Yeah, and he told you before he was murdered that the postcard he gave you was a part of the key to the location of the diamonds. That's right. It was signed by a man named Gruner. And according to Ilsa Schaefer, Gruner was a friend of Sebastian's. Her description of Gruner matches one of the men in the robbery at the airport. And what of this young lady, Ilsa Schaefer? What do you make of her? Well, that's a, a good question, Inspector. I, I wish I knew the answer. I hope she's in the clear. Hope? Oh, oh I see. All right, so I'm normal. Uh, yeah, she is a very attractive young lady. But there is also the chance that she is involved, that she killed Sebastian. I know, I know. She could be involved or she could be innocent. It's a 50-50 proposition, I guess. Pay your money and take your choice. More coffee, Inspector? Please. Thank you. Uh, what is her story? Well, I finally got her to admit she didn't share my cab in Zurich and leave her purse in it just by coincidence. It was Sebastian's idea to make it look like she'd passed something along to me. But why would Sebastian wish to make it appear that you had the diamonds if he was trying to negotiate with you for their return? That does not make sense. Actually, I think it does, Inspector. It could go together this way. After the robbery, the gang split up. Gruner was to hide the diamonds, then get word to Sebastian as to their location. Of this much, we are fairly certain. Okay, okay. But now, Sebastian gets the bright idea of double-crossing his buddies. He gets in touch with the insurance company I represent, and they send me to Zurich to negotiate with him. I still do not... In the meantime, though, another outfit has moved into the picture and is trying to grab the stones from Sebastian and his boys. Yeah... Yeah, that would explain many things. Sure, sure it would. That's why he rigged that deal with Ilsa in my taxi cab to make it look to the other outfit like I had the stones. That would take them off his neck for a while. Yeah, he was playing me for a patsy. But I've got to admit, it was a pretty fair scheme. Then later, Sebastian contacts you and gives you the first postcard. Mm -hmm. He tells you it is part of the key to the location of the diamonds. That's right. But Sebastian didn't move fast enough. So he wound up dead. But uh, his confederate Gruner sent him a second card. Oh, probably mail before Sebastian was killed. It is possible. Now, the first postcard is a picture of this Kleibach Inn. Yeah, and according to Waddle, the innkeeper, it's not the best picture of the inn. I asked him about Gruner. He said he thought he'd heard the name somewhere, but that Gruner hadn't been a guest here. Perhaps he is down in the village. Well, I'm going to check that today. But if the diamonds are in the village, why the postcard of the inn? And why the second postcard of the ski hut on the ridge? I do not know. Is there anybody here at the inn that you suspect of being an accomplice of Gruner and Sebastian? Ilsa Schaefer, for one. She claims Sebastian told her he'd meet her here in a few days for some skiing. I see. Anyone else? An Englishman named Jeffrey Harris. He seems pretty interested in me. Claims he thought I was a friend of his from London. He might be telling the truth. Yeah, yeah, he might be. But I found out he likes to climb mountains. And he was up there somewhere this morning when Ilsa and I were skiing and got shot at. Do you think Fräulein Schaefer could have maneuvered you into that position? Well, if she did, she had a lot of confidence in the marksmanship of her buddy in the rocks. And you told me she suggested a route of escape which ended suddenly at a, a cliff. Which I almost went off of. Yeah... Yeah, Inspector, I hate to say it, but she could be the one. And I've got to find out one way or the other. 
Which means I'm going to stick pretty close to her for the time being. I gather that prospect is not entirely unpleasant to you. But be careful, Herr Dollar. She could be dangerous. So could Jeffrey Harris. On my way to the ski hut this afternoon, I spotted him down the mountain from me. And the ski hut had been torn apart. Yeah. If the diamonds were there, they're gone now. And Harris could be the boy who beat me to them. If he or anybody attempts to leave Kleibach, one of my men at the railroad station will report it. Well, I must be getting back to Zurich, Herr Dollar. Who knows? Perhaps these postcards are just decoys. And the stones are still in Zurich? No. No, I'd bet my bottom dollar they're here in Kleibach somewhere. If I could only figure out the meaning of those postcards. Yeah. Otherwise, why would the man who attacked you in Zurich have come here? He must be hiding out in the village somewhere. Well, perhaps I can turn up something else of help in Zurich. Right now, Inspector, anything would be of help, believe me. After Inspector Honegger left, I studied the postcards again, but I got nowhere. One of the inn, the other the ski hut. But what did they mean? I went out on the balcony outside my room and looked up at the mountains. But I couldn't see the ski hut from there. A ridge was in the way. I did see something else, though. Three rooms down the balcony, Jeffrey Harris's French doors were open. His room was empty. So I decided to have a look. I wasn't sure just what I was looking for. Something, anything that would indicate whether or not Harris was involved in the whole thing. I worked my way to the closet, turning up one big nothing. His clothes were hung neatly in place, and in one corner was stacked some climbing gear. I reached around behind it, and my hand touched metal. I pulled it into view. A rifle with a telescopic sight. I sniffed at the barrel. The gun had been fired. Ah, good evening, Herr Dollar. Hello, Otto. Look, have you seen Jeffrey Harris lately? The Englishman? Not since late afternoon. All day long, he was out climbing the mountain. Yeah, I know. He no sooner got back than he went out again, before dinner. And it was a good dinner tonight, too. Any idea where he went? None. Could be in the village. Look, tell me something. When he arrived here at your inn, did he have a gun case in his luggage? He had a lot of climbing equipment, but I did not notice a gun case. Well, he could have taken it apart and packed it in his suitcase. Why do you ask, Herr Dollar? Hmm. Oh, skip it. I'll see you later, Otto. Johnny. Oh, hello, Elsa. I've been looking for you. Yeah? Have you been able to find out who are shooting at us up on the ridge this morning? I'm not sure yet. You still do not trust me, do you? I don't know, Elsa. What can I do to prove to you that I am not involved? In what? Anything. The diamond robbery, the murder of Sebastian, the attempt on your life this morning. I, I like you, Johnny. I don't want you thinking such things about me. Look, let's uh, let's talk about it later on. Why not now? I have to go into the village. Well, perhaps I could go with you, Johnny. Do you mind? No. Matter of fact, that might be a good idea. Nice in the village tonight, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Quiet, too. You seem to... To be looking for something, Johnny. For someone, Elsa. Who? The Englishman, Jeffrey Harris. Oh? You told me you'd never seen him before you came here to Kleibach. That is right. Then he wasn't a friend of Sebastian's. Well, not as far as I know. 
Well, an hour ago, in Harris's room, I found a rifle with a telescopic sight. You mean that Harris is the one who shot at you this morning? Otto, the innkeeper, told me Harris went mountain climbing today. I saw him on his way down late this afternoon. But he isn't at the inn now. You think he's down here in the village? Maybe. That's why... What's the matter? Hold it, Elsa. Well, well. Looks like maybe the village isn't so quiet after all. What do you mean? I think somebody's following us. What? Come on, now. Start walking. Yeah. Where? Across the street and back away in the shadows. Oh, what are you going to do, John? Figure out a way. Wait a minute. That alley up ahead will turn into it. Oh, John. Don't turn your head, Elsa. Okay, into the alley now. Good. He can't see us here. Who do you think it is? I don't know. Bruner, Jeffrey, Harris, even the guy who jumped me back in Zurich thinking I had the diamonds. Keep going. You think he'll come into this alley? That's what I'm hoping. All right, now here we are. The doorway here will do very nicely. Look, you'll see. You keep going down the alley. Cut across to the next street and go back to the inn. But what are you going to do? Wait for him. Go on now, go on. No, Johnny. Look, you do as I... I want to stay with don't you. Don't be silly. It could get a little rough around here all of a sudden. Uh, There's nothing you can do here, Elsa. So do what I tell you. Now get moving. Now. She looked at me a moment, then went down the alley and out of sight. A couple of minutes went by. Nothing. Then I heard steps. He was approaching the alley, whoever he was. Now he was at the entrance. I pressed back into the doorway. A few more feet. Wait a minute. He decided not to bite. I edged out of the doorway and back to the mouth of the alley. Then I stuck my head around the corner. Nobody. He must have ducked into a building or down the street. It sounded like Ilsa for the next street. I cut through the alley. Then I spotted a couple of people in front of a small hotel down the street. They were jabbering excitedly. There was a man crumpled up on the ground. Ilsa saw me and ran over. Johnny. Oh, Johnny. What's the matter, Ilsa? He fell out of the upstairs window, almost in front of Who me. Who is it? It's, it's Sebastian's friend, Gruner. Gruner. The guy who'd been writing postcards to Sebastian. Gruner. The only man in the world who knew where the diamonds were hidden. My one lead. Dead. Now, here's our star to tell you about the final episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, the wind-up. I find out some people will not hesitate to kill anyone who gets in their way. And that's not so good when the man in the way is me. Join us, won't you? From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Otto, the innkeeper, Herr Dollar. Oh, good. I was away from the desk for a few minutes and just received the message that you called. Look, Otto... I'm at the little hotel down in the village. You're not planning to move out of the Kleibach Inn, I hope. No, no, listen. I want you to do me a favor. Of course. Have you seen Jeffrey Harris? The English gentleman? No. Then keep a sharp eye out for him. Oh. Yeah, and the minute he gets back to the inn, call me. But don't let him know you're calling me. Whatever you say, Herr Dollar. But is something wrong? Plenty. This man named Gruner I've been looking for. You have found him? I've found him, all right. Dead. What? And it looks like his killer is here at this hotel. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Clybox, Switzerland. To the Home Office Global Casualty, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the picture postcard matter. Expense account continued. The murder of Gruner meant that I had lost the one solid lead I had on the whole case. Unless, of course, I could round up whoever put him away. Item 10, $1 to the desk clerk for watching the rear entrance of the hotel in case the killer should try to get out that way. Well, what are you going to do, Johnny? Go upstairs and take a look. I'm coming with you. No, no, stay here. I won't. I'm coming with you. All right, I don't have time to argue. Now, tell me again just what happened, Elsa. Uh, you realized we were being followed along the street. You decided to wait in that alley, and I was to cut through to this street and go back to the inn. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Well, when I got to the street, I heard a man cry out. Then I saw Gruner fall from an upstairs window. He was dead. He fell from a corner room? Yes. Well, that'd be this door over here. Okay. Get back against the wall, Elsa. All right. Be careful, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Empty. Maybe one of the other rooms, Johnny. Yeah. Hey, hey. Somebody just locked up. That was down the hall. Yeah, come on. That room at the end. Get back, Elsa. Gone. The window. Yeah. Oh, great. A fire escape. Uh oh. You see someone, Just Johnny? a flash as he disappeared around the corner. Could you recognize there him? There wasn't much light, but it looked like the big boy who jumped me back in Zurich. Then it was he who killed Gruner. Could be. And Gruner was my last lead to those stolen diamonds. You think that man who got away now has them? I don't know. If he does and tries to leave town, Inspector Honiger's man will pick him up at the railroad station. Well, let's go back to the inn. We did. But only because it meant being someplace where I could quietly sit down and think. Try to put together and make sense out of what meager information I had. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I was starving. More coffee, Johnny? Hmm? No, no thanks, no. What's the matter, Johnny? Oh, what's the matter is I'm beat. The stolen diamonds. The stolen diamonds. Unless I can figure out the meaning of those picture postcards Gruner sent to Sebastian, I'm licked. And so far, I've drawn nothing but big blanks on them. Postcards? You didn't say anything to me about postcards. I know, Elsa. Well, look, you may as well know it. Right now, you're about my last hope. Uh, you claim you weren't involved in any of this, that you want to help me. Oh, yes, Johnny, and I mean it. Okay, here's your chance to prove it. How? Take a look at these postcards. They're all addressed to your dead pal, Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Sent to him by Gruner. That's right. A picture of the Clyback in here... And a picture of the ski hut on the ridge. Do they mean anything to you? Well, we are staying here at the inn, and I have seen the ski hut on the ridge. Beyond that, nothing. You're sure? Yes. What is it all about, Johnny? The postcards, I mean. Sebastian and Gruner were together in the diamond robbery back in Zurich. Then they split up. Gruner hid the diamonds and sent these postcards to Sebastian... They're supposed to be the key to the location of the diamonds. And now both Sebastian and Gruner are dead. Which means that if I can't figure out this key, I'll probably never recover those stones. You told me this morning you thought there were others after the diamonds. Yeah, and they probably knocked off Sebastian and Gruner trying to get them. These postcards, the inn and the ski hut. Have you searched this inn? As well as I could. And the ski hut? When I got there, the place had been ransacked. Somebody beat me to it. I saw Jeffrey Harris in the vicinity on my way up to the hut. The Englishman? Yeah. He could be my boy. 
Maybe whoever knocked off Gruner in the village was working for him. Maybe Mr. Harris already has the diamonds then. I hope to find out if and when he comes back here to the inn. I somehow doubt that he's found them, though. They went after Gruner after the ski hut was ransacked. And that would indicate they are still looking for them. Yes. The inn and the ski hut. Wait, Johnny. Perhaps the diamonds are somewhere on a line between the two places. I thought of that, but it doesn't work. You can't see the ski hut from here at the inn. A ridge cuts it off. And where on a line between the two? They're about five miles apart. I wonder if... Hold it, Elsa. What is it? Jeffrey Harris, just coming in. See you later, Elsa. Well, 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 it's the dollar chap. Yeah, that's right, Harris. The dollar chap. Enjoying your stay at Clyback, old man? Well, let's say it's been interesting. Delightful place, really. I'm a bit of a mountain climber, you know. I yeah, think... I know. Oh, you do? Oh, I didn't think my reputation had spread that much. Oh, I'm really just an amateur, but it's great fun. You did some climbing today, I believe. Yes, matter of fact, I did. Splendid place of rock up there. It gave me quite a workout. And you were down in the village this evening? Oh, yes. I say, old chap, you, you seem to be rather an inquisitive sort. Why all the questions, huh? Well, this morning I got shot at up on the ridge. What's that? This evening a man was murdered in the village. Both times you were in the vicinity. Oh, now, look here, Dollar. Let's not be absurd, right? I, I, I'm sorry that someone was potting away at you this morning, but I assure you I had nothing to do with it, and I didn't even know about the murder in the village. Plus the fact you've been pretty interested in me ever since I arrived here at the inn. Yes, but I've explained all that. I thought at first that you might be my old friend, Bunny Dollar, from London. Look, let's quit talking about old Bunny Dollar and start talking about that rifle of yours with a telescopic sight. <laughs> don't be ridiculous, old boy. I don't have any rifle. Well, I just happened to have found one in your closet today. I say, you are a snooper, aren't you? But you must have gotten to the wrong closet. I tell you, I don't own a rifle. It was there, all right, and it was your closet. Well, then somebody left it there by mistake. Now, look here, Dollar. I haven't the slightest idea what you're driving at, but I assure you, I am in no way involved. And I must say, I don't care for your attitude or behavior. You'd think I had you confused with old Bunny. Well, you're not in the least like him. They're prowling in my closet. I guess I drew a blank there. Uh, Elsa... Where did you... Hey, Dollar. Oh, Otto. Where did Elsa go? Why, I do not know. She was sitting there a few minutes ago. Perhaps she went up to her room. Yeah. Hey, Dollar, this man you were looking for, Gruner... I'm not looking for him anymore, Otto. Like I told you over the phone, he got himself killed in the village this evening. I know. And that is what made me think you might be interested in this. Oh, hey, another postcard. Where'd you get it? It arrived today. It was addressed to the man called Sebastian in care of my inn. That means Gruner didn't know Sebastian was dead. Hey, hey, this could be the missing part of the key. Key? A picture of the village square. Does that mean something to you, Herr Dollar? I'm sure it means something, all right. But I'm not sure what. I went to my room and put the three postcards side by side. The inn... The ski hut on the ridge in the village square. The trouble was I couldn't be sure this was all there was to the key. Maybe Gruner had planned to send more cards, but he wouldn't be sending any now. Yeah. Yeah, from any point of view, I was getting nowhere. Then I stopped cold. Point of view. I looked at the cards again. You couldn't see the ski hut from the inn, and you couldn't see the inn from the village. But maybe, just maybe, there was some point from which you could see all three. I went downstairs and outside. It was a moonlight night. I started walking slowly toward the village, keeping the inn in sight behind me. Finally, I came to a point in the road where I could see both the inn and the village square in the distance. But I still couldn't see the ski hut. There was a ridge in the way. 
I started cutting across a field. It looked like a little deserted farm. A shed loomed up in front of me, a small, broken-down barn. And then, just as I got to the barn, the ski hut on the ridge came into view. I stopped and checked. Yeah? Yeah, I could see the inn, the village square, and the ski hut. And this was the one point from which the scenes on all three postcards were visible. This had to be it. I went inside. The barn was empty except for some straw in one corner. I ran my hands through it. And I pulled out a leather case. The moonlight streaming through the broken roof told me I finally found the uncut diamonds. Somebody outside. I froze against the wall in the shadow. He came in. I let him get close. Then I dove at him. I gave him a couple of the midsection and crumpled. I dragged him to his feet. No, let's go off. Well, my old friend who jumped me back in Zurich. Who are you? Come on. No, no, don't. No, I, I am Anton. Your outfit was trying to get the diamonds away from Sebastian's boys, huh? Yes. When you jumped me in Zurich, you thought I had them. Then you followed me here to Kleibach. And you killed Gruner trying to make him talk. Okay, who are you working for? Spell it. No, nobody. I am working alone. Don't give me that. You haven't the brains to mastermind a deal like this. Now, who's the boss? I can't tell you. Open up, Anton. Start talking. That is enough, Herr Dollar. What? Otto. Stand very still. Well, so the little innkeeper is Anton's boss. You stupid fool, Anton. What could I do, Otto? I I didn't know he had had me approaching. One blunder after another. But I I think I get it now, Otto. It was you who shot at me up at the ridge this morning. Then you planted the rifle in the Englishman's room. I realized after I had missed that perhaps it was just as well, Dollar. Sure, sure. You realized I might be able to help you. You couldn't figure out the location of the stones, although you had one of the postcards. But you knew I had the other two and might be able to figure out the three of them. Why not? So you gave me the third card, hoping I'd lead you to the diamonds. Which you very obligingly did. Give me the diamonds, Dollar. I will take them. Stand back, Anton. What? But Otto... Sure. You don't think he's really going to split with you, do you, Anton? What do you mean? Otto... Stay where you are, Anton. You have served your purpose. After all I have done for you. What? You stand back! Anton started for Otto, who took his eyes off for a second. That's what I was waiting for. I dove at him just as his gun went off. Anton crumpled, and after a fist in his face, Otto did likewise. I knelt down and picked up his gun. All right, Otto. Just hold it where you are. But my shoulder, I'm hurt. Don't worry, Anton. There's enough of you left to talk to the police. And you know... I got a hunch you're going to be a real cooperative witness. Expense account, 14th and final item, $678.50, transportation and incidentals home. Total expenses, $1,723 even. Remarks? Otto and Anton were turned over to police inspector Honiger. The diamonds are in safekeeping. About Otto. Well, greed is one of the seven deadly sins. It sure turned out to be the deadliest one for Otto. How about Elsa? Well, uh, please consider me available for any future assignments in Switzerland. End of report. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, there's uranium, they say, in the Arizona hills. There's also a killer with three victims behind him. And he's looking for another. Join us, won't you? 
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Robert Reif, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were Lucille Meredith, Victor Perrin, Forrest Lewis, Stan Jones, and Ben Wright. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. All right, you've been listening to Yesterday Today. We have made absolutely no progress in um, building a snow machine or a hovercraft or getting Willie out of the building or our gum chewing. We kind of ran out of gum. I should have bought more of that. Honestly, though, I, I broke down, and I have to admit, Jake, it was tasty gum. Thank you. Not quite tasty enough for me to eat 20,000 pieces of it to get a hovercraft, but tasty nonetheless. That being said, it's still summer. It's still hot, and it's still miserable. No audio visitations to Canada or the Yukon or Zurich, Switzerland. It didn't help. No, we really didn't accomplish much today, but uh, but what can you expect of us? We're, we're trying our best over here. Maybe next week. Maybe next week we'll make it snow indoors. Until next time, folks. Yesterday today. Here's hoping for next week. By the way, uh, Willie was asking if he could guest host the show. Um, if Run that by me again? Yeah, Willie. Slick Willie, our legal counsel, mm-hmm. remember yep. him? The guy who sleeps in our closet now? Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Him. He wants to guest host the show, so I think we should talk about that. What on earth? He has some very important things to say about chemtrails or something. I'm not sure what, what that means. What on earth would we get out of this? What, how is well, this a benefit well, for we us? Can just, we can just, we'll, we'll discuss it, we'll discuss it.